is this glass half full or half empty? You've heard this question before, right? I remember uh, as a kid, my dad called me into the kitchen, myself and my brothers, two years younger, and he had a glass just like this, and he said, sons, is this glass half full or half empty? I remember it, and I was like, what? And he was like, is this half full or half empty? And I remember it like it was yesterday. And you've probably heard this question before, right? You've seen this illustration. I was a youth pastor for a long time, so I remember doing this exact same thing and be like, hey, students, is this glass half full or half empty? And one of the students raised their hand and said, well, technically the half line would be right there, and it's a little above it, so technically it's not either. I'm like, okay, you're kind of missing the point. And then another student raised their hand and goes, yeah, I agree with him. It's not technically half full because it's not up to, and I'm like, okay, can, just, can we pretend for a second? Students love, here's what I learned, students love to take that analogy or that thing that, you're, that you have been working really hard and just destroying it um, to make you feel good. That's what they love to do with me. So is this glass half full or half empty? The reason we ask this question is because we're, what we're really asking is, are you an optimist or are you a pessimist? That's really what we're asking. How do you look at things? Do you look at things like, like life is half full? Do you look at things like life is half empty? Are you an optimist? Or are you a pessimist? That's what we're really asking. And what I found interesting is that research actually shows that we don't really choose whether we're an optimist or a pessimist. Yeah, we can look at things differently and be intentional about that, but it's actually, some, some scientists would argue it's, it's genetic, whether you're optimist or pessimist. Here's what some research has said, and again, I found this on the internet, so I know it's true, that some people that have long alleles, what is an allele? No idea. But some people that have long alleles on certain genes, it changes their serotonin so they think of more positive images, which makes them a, uh, uh, optimist, where other people that have short alleles on the same gene, they think of negative images more likely, and that makes them more of a pessimist. So are you an optimist or a pessimist? And research has actually shown, too, that um, not, one is not better than the other necessarily. Like being an optimist or being a pessimist is not necessarily one is better than the other. Optimists tend to show higher academic achievements and better social economic status um, compared to pessimists, but pessimists understand risk better. Um, They uh, use caution. They plan more. And actually, statistically, they live longer than optimists. You know why? Because optimists think, hey, nothing's ever going to hurt me. I'll just drink as much of this as I want or smoke as, like, they don't, they don't think anything's going to hurt. Or pessimists think of risk and go and caution and plan things ahead. So the question remains, is this glass half full or half empty? And so I'm a pastor and we're in church. As followers of Jesus, how should we answer this question? Is this glass half full or half empty? As people that, and if you're, you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. It, the people that are in this room that do, that would say, you know what, I believe that I am forgiven through Christ, that I am redeemed, that, that um, I am supposed to follow his example. Those, for those of us in the room that, that believe that, what is our answer to this? What should our answer be? What, biblically, what should our answer be? Is this glass half full or half empty? I personally find myself to be um, an optimist with pessimistic tendencies. That's what I find myself as, um, and a lot of you probably relate. I focus a lot on future potential of most things. I'm a futuristic thinker. Um, I tend to focus on things that make me happy, and I tend to be optimistic about a lot of things, while at the same time, I easily can assume the worst in people. Like, it's just something I can easily do. Um, and because of my pessimistic tendencies, I have kind of noticed that and seen how that's, that's 
to, in, in my job and in my family and in my relationships. So I've been trying to be intentional about working on that, on, on trying not to assume the worst in people. I've been intentionally trying to say kind things to people. I've been intentionally trying to give people the benefit of the doubt, um, to try to see from their point of view. And here's the biggest thing I'm trying to get better at. I'm trying to do more praise rather than criticism. Because criticism just is easy for me to do. Because uh, I'm a, if you've ever taken strength finders, it's a, it's a strength assessment. Um, I'm a maximizer. I like to take something and make it the best possible version. Because of that, if it's not the best possible version, I have a lot of critiques on how to make it the best possible version. So I tend to just go right to criticism if I'm not intentional about it. So I need to make sure that I am praising more than criticizing. I have a lot to improve. Uh, instead of criticism, I want to do more praise. Maybe this also comes with me getting a little older. I'm 36 now. Maybe just as you get older, you just tend to complain a little more. I don't know, because I find myself complaining more now than I ever have. In fact, this the last week, I finished reading the book of Exodus, and if you ever read the book of Exodus, there's a whole um, bunch of chapters about the Israelites wandering in the desert right after they were freed from Pharaoh and from slavery, and Moses is part of the Red Sea, and they're wandering in the desert. If you ever read it, uh, the whole time they're complaining just about Moses, we're hungry, Moses, we're tired, it's hot, like everything. And as a student, when I read it, I was like, why would they complain so much? When I read it this week, I was like, I get it. I'd be complaining too. I bet it was really hot. But the Israelites, they wanted to sacrifice their freedom for a better menu. That's what they wanted to do. And that's how much they complained. So is that you? Are you a person that does that? Do you, do you pick criticism over praise? When we see a class like this, do you see, no, that's definitely half empty, or right away you started judging me because it's not exactly half full. Is that what we do? Because you will never be satisfied if we are too busy complaining and criticizing. And the book of Psalms, and Psalm 103 specifically, tells us what I want to help us learn today, and something that I need to work on, that we all need to work on. Here's what it says. Satisfaction comes from gratitude. Satisfaction comes from gratitude. Psalms 103 is written by, by David. Uh, we don't know when in his life this was written, uh, but we know it was written by David. Uh, most scholars believe that this is probably towards the end of his life, that this is towards the end of um, his, his, his life events. And if you know, the, know David, you know David and Goliath, you know um, David and Saul, you know uh, David and Bathsheba and Uriah when he becomes king. So you know a little bit of that stuff. So David is writing this psalm 103 at the end, at the end of um, his time. That's what most scholars believe. And in this psalm is a prayer. It's a prayer by David in which he is talking to himself, he's talking to his own soul, and reminding himself to be grateful, to be grateful to God. And here's what it says in Psalm 103. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Psalm 103. It'll be up on the screen as well. It says this, praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. When you pray, what percentage of your prayer is a request, is, like, is what you need? is what you want. For some of you, the only time you pray is a request. Something bad's happening in life, so I, I got to spend some time praying. Besides that, we don't. Well, what percentage of your prayer time, of your time with God, 
is you requesting something from Him. Now, I want to make something very clear. God is a God who wants to hear your prayer request. God is a God who wants to hear what you're struggling with, who wants to hear what you're going through. We should be bringing that to God. That is important for us to do. But we also should send praise to Him that when things aren't bad or when things are going well or just the things that are blessings in our life, we should also be praying and praising God and singing praises to Him just like David was in Psalm 103. Um, I have some friends who I only hear from when they need something from me. You probably have some friends like that too where the only time they ever reach out to me is when they need something. All of a sudden I'll get a text, hey man, how's it going? And I'm like, okay, here, here's the small talk to set me up for the request. Uh, it's fine. What's What's new with you? It's like, oh, nothing. I mean, I was just doing this. I was wondering, could you help me with this? Like, yeah, here you are. So when it, those people, I don't really consider them that close of friends to me because they only reach out to me when they need something. Is that our prayer life? We only reach out to God when we need something? See, if we want to be satisfied in life, you have to have a heart of gratefulness. In order to be grateful, we need to constantly, constantly reflect on who God is and what God has done for us. David talked about the, the blessing that he has received from God, the, the benefits that we can't forget. So the rest of this time, I just want to talk about the five benefits that David told us in Psalm 103, verse 1 through 5. The first one is this, we are forgiven, forgiven. David says, forgives all of our iniquities. This is always the starting point because our greatest problem in life is the guilt we have from our sin. That's our greatest problem. And because that's our greatest problem, our greatest need is to be let off the hook of that sin. That is our biggest need, of, of, off the hook from our earned guilt. And through Jesus' death on the cross, we are fully forgiven for all of our iniquities, for all of our wrongs, for all of our sins. And when I say all, I mean all. All as in all of our past wrongs, the things we've done wrong, we have been forgiven for. All the times that you've treated someone badly in the past. All the times you have fallen back into the shameful, harmful routine. All the times that you have used people for your benefit. All the times that you've snapped at your spouse, at your parents, at your friends, at, at your family, at your kids. All the times that you have made mistakes in high school, in college, in, in, in that first job that you had, in that first marriage that you had. All of those times that we have messed up, He's forgiven all of our iniquities. All means all of our past, but it doesn't just mean past. It also means present. All of our present mistakes, all those addictions that we're currently struggling with, that we don't want to know about, forgives us from all of those. Forgives us from all the ways that you are currently treating your family or your spouse or your kids. All the ways that, that you have, all the times that you, uh, the people that you've turned, sorry, the people you turn into when you're around your friends and your college friends and those, that, that person that you are when that happens, all those times, he, he forgives all your present mistakes. Whatever it is you're struggling with today, God has forgiven you with all of those things. And not only that, but He has given you the power to be free from all those things. Not only all the sins in our past, not only all the sins that we're struggling with today, but all the sins that we're going to do, all of our future sins, God has forgiven you for all of them. I mean, sometimes I think of forgiveness as, as Jesus forgiving me for what I did today and, and yesterday, and then the rest of my life is like a race with the devil to the end of my life of no more sinning. That's why I think of my, of my life sometimes. No, every sin that we've ever committed was future when Jesus died. All of them. 
So anything you're ever going to do, He has forgiven you when you are in Christ. That deserves praise. God is more willing to forgive our sins than we are willing to be forgiven. It's important to know. He is ready to forgive and He wants to forgive, and we should celebrate and be grateful for the fact that we are forgiven. It's not all David says. David also says that we are healed. David praises God because He has healed all of our diseases. Um, A question I get every once in a while is, do we believe in divine healing? I get that question every once in a while. And I would say, of course we do. We believe that God heals. I have had times where I have prayed for people in hospital beds for healing, and I've seen things happen. I remember as a student pastor, um, there was one of our students named Tyler who had leukemia, and um, it was at the end of of his his journey, and the doctor said, hey, this is probably it. We're going to take him off all the all the machines, and um, his parents and some of the other pastors and myself were there. We just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and they took him off all the machines. And then for some reason, he just came back. And the doctors couldn't explain it. They were like, well, I don't, we don't know what happened. We don't know why he, he made it. He was, it was over, and he came back. We believe in divine healing. Of course we do. But we also believe that God heals through medicine, through doctors, through surgery, through therapy, that God heals that way too. Do we believe in divine healing? I don't think there's any other kind of healing. It's all divine healing. But sometimes the reason why we get that question, do you believe in divine healing, is because um, we tend to think of like those preachers on TV that are like telling someone to stand up and they stand up and, or that cancer story that, that we've never experienced. And, and so we think, is that one of those churches that's like going to tell someone, hey, stand up now in the name of Jesus. And they stand up like, is that what we believe? I, I get why we get suspicious. But here's what I want you to remember. All healing in this earthly life is limited and temporary. Tyler, who I told you about, died from leukemia two months later. All healing is temporary until we're in His presence. All of it is. Does that mean that we don't praise God for the healing we experience today between now and when we are fully healed in His presence? Of course not. We still praise God because we are healed. So if you were sick and you're now healthy, give thanks to God. If you almost died from an accident and you survived, give thanks to God. If you struggle with from anxiety or worry and through therapy and prayer and medicine, you don't struggle as much as you did, give thanks to God. If you're here today, you've been healed in some capacity. So we need to be grateful for that. Number two, we're healed. What else do we need to be grateful for? The fact that we are redeemed. David says, who redeems your life from the pit? how David says it in Psalms. Redeemed as in rescued from trouble or danger. And, and the pit refers to death. One time I was walking my son Noah um, at our old house. Our old house had a ton of cars. We were, it was duplexes that were really crowded and not enough parking, so there was cars everywhere. And I was walking him. He was about two at the time. And one of those bike things that you have, like the little handle because your son is too lazy to actually pedal himself, you know those things? So I was walking, and we were getting to like a, like a little intersection just in our neighborhood. It's not an actual light or anything, but um, a car decided they were going to make a U-turn just like that. And I'm walking on the street here, and they were going to make a U-turn to come back past me. Um, and they decided, we don't need to check if there's any other cars behind us. And so when they went to do that, the car behind them just kept going because they thought they were turning right. And when they turned around, that car, the cars hit each other, and the car that was trying to get by swerved over to the left, hit a mailbox 20 feet away from me. Like, there was no control. He didn't have control. 
and I saw it happen just feet away from me. This car just goes shoom, like that. It's like, if we were there, it's over. There was no chance. And I just stopped with Noah. Noah just singing Batman. He doesn't even know what's happening. And I was just like freaking out. I texted Eric. I was like, hey, I, we almost died. Like, I just, I saw my, and every once in a while, I'll think back about that time. and like, man, that could have been it. It could have been game, game over right there. But, but it wasn't. See, you are redeemed. You know how I know that? You're here. God has preserved you and kept you, and you are still here. That means God has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you because you are still here. God is always redeeming us. If nothing special happens to you today, today is just a normal, boring day, a day that you forget about in a week. You go home, you, you go to the grocery store because you have to fast from eating out, so you've got to figure out what you're going to eat all week. And you just kind of watch TV and you go to bed. It's a normal day. We think, ah, what happened today? Ah, nothing happened today. You know what that means? If nothing happened today, that means you didn't get into a car accident today. You weren't robbed today. Your spouse still loves you. You're fairly healthy. You still have friends. You have a roof over your head. You still have some money. You still have a job. There are so many things that didn't happen to you today that we should be grateful for, but for a lot of us, and myself included, we don't even think about it. It's just a normal, no, nothing happened today. It's a boring day. And even when something does happen, when a bad thing does happen, you do lose your job, you do get into a car accident. Even when that does happen, we are still redeemed. A quote I read this week that I really loved said this, uh, if you're going to die by hanging, you'll never drown. What does that mean? We all are eventually going to die. It might be by hanging, it might be by drowning, but it can't be both. It can't be both. So that means that we don't live in fear for someday because you are redeemed today. Another definition for redeemed is compensated for the faults or bad aspects of something. This is exactly what Jesus did. He compensated for what you were lacking. The gap between us and a perfect holy God that we could never meet, that gap that we could never bridge, He sent Jesus to fill that gap. You are redeemed. Be grateful for it. What's next? David says, we are crowned. Here's how David said, he said, who crowns you with love and compassion. I actually like the King James Version of how they say it. They say, they say, you are crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies, is how King James says it. Um, sometimes I read the Old Testament, and I might, you might think the same things that I think, but sometimes I think, man, this God in the Old Testament doesn't seem to act the same way as like Jesus acted in the New Testament. Sometimes I have trouble with that. Like, I'll read, like, all these rules that, that God had in the Old Testament and all these ways that He acted. It's like, man, it doesn't seem very loving, that God. I kind of like the New Testament God, and I start to think they're two different people, which they are absolutely not. God is the same God. And maybe you felt this way, too, of like, is this the same God? And here's what I know, and I'm not going to get into the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and those things. But here's what I, I will say. God, if there is a God, which I truly believe there is, is the ruler of the universe, created everything, everything, created you and me, created the way the world works, created everything beyond our comprehension. Yet He loves us so much that He did everything to have a relationship with you and me. And I don't know about you, but I'm a very, very bad sinner. Actually, I'm a very good sinner. I'm very good at sinning. And He did everything He could to have a relationship with us. If God demanded our obedience, if there is a God, which I believe there is, if He demanded our obedience, that would be right, because He is God, plain and simple. If there's a deity out there, whatever that deity decides to do is right, because He is God. Yet, like David says, 
God, instead of demanding obedience from us, He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. What does that mean? Loving kindness means loyal, unending, unchanging love of God towards us. He pours out His blessings on us and tender mercies, not tender justice, tender mercies. He knows what we are going through and He meets us where we are. We don't get what we deserve. Justice is done through Christ's payment and death, and we are left with tender mercies, and we don't get what we deserve. That is mercy. He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercy. I love that word crown because it's like a king crowning his heirs, what it's like. It's, it's like. it's like a father giving to his inheritance to his kids. It is a privilege that we do not deserve. It is a privilege that we must be grateful for. And the last thing, we're satisfied. So David says it this way. He says, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That is what we are talking about throughout this entire series. We cannot find satisfaction anywhere else in our relationship with Christ. Not in our earthly relationships, not in our earthly things, not in our own understanding. He satisfies us with every good thing. Now, let me make something clear. This doesn't mean that he's a genie. He just rub a lamp and you wish enough and then God's going to grant you everything you want. That's not what it means. And if you ever go to a church that tells you, hey, um, you need to give, and when you give, that you will be rewarded financially because of it, that you just need, it's like a seed, that's called seed faith or prosperity gospel. I comm- I'm telling you, you need to run as far away from that church as possible, okay? Do I believe that you'll be blessed when you start putting God first in your finances? I do. I believe sometimes that blessing could be um, a financial blessing, but most likely that blessing is going to be that you are more content with less. That's what that blessing is probably going to be, which we don't like that, right? If we go to a church that says, hey, you do this and God's going to bless you, no, God's not going to bless you with earthly things. He's going to bless you with good things, with His things. That means making you satisfied by giving you a purpose, making you satisfied by making you content, probably with less, by making you satisfied by giving you good things, things of God. So what are the benefits? What are the blessings that we need to be grateful for? Let's review them. We're forgiven. That means we're made new. That all the things you've done wrong in your past, present, and all the things you will do wrong, completely forgiven. You're healed. You're protected. You're redeemed. And you're compensated for. You're crowned. You're elevated to a different position that we don't deserve. And you're satisfied. You have all that you need. We have so much to be grateful for, and our satisfaction only comes when we intentionally give thanks for the blessings and the benefits that we have been given. Which brings us back to our question. Is this glass half full or half empty? After reading Psalms and seeing what David says, how are we supposed to look at this glass? Half full or half empty? The book of Psalms, just like the entire Old Testament, points us to Jesus. And Psalms 103 points us to Jesus. And there's this, there's this story in, in John chapter 4. Jesus is doing ministry, and he walks by uh, this well in the middle of the day, and he sees a woman there, a Samaritan woman. And this woman is there getting water in the middle of the day, which is strange. You wouldn't do that back then. The reason why she was there in the middle of the day is because she was trying to hide from everybody. Not only back then it would be so hot, you'd either go really early in the morning or in the evening when the sun is setting because it's not as hot then. But you wouldn't go in the middle of the day. But this Samaritan woman is there in the middle of the day. 
find out why she's, she um, is ashamed. She has a bad past. She had failed marriages, and now she's with somebody that's not even her husband. She's there getting water, and Jesus comes up. Jesus, being a Jewish man, says, hey, can I, can I have some water? And the Samaritan woman's like, you're not supposed to ask me that. It's back then, Samaritans and, and Jews did not get along, and, and he wasn't supposed to talk to her that way. And she says, hey, you're, you're not supposed to do that. But Jesus never let tradition get in the way of people, ever. So he says, no, you're not supposed to ask me that. And here's how Jesus replies to the Samaritan woman. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would get, have given you living water. She has no idea what this means. She's confused by it. We talk about living water. So he explains in verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This water in this well, it's not going to satisfy you. You're always going to want more. You're always going to be thirsty Again, you're always going to need more, but the water I'm going to offer you fully satisfy you. You will never need it again. It will be a spring that will never run out. So is this cup half full or half empty? That's not the question. Because the answer is neither. As followers of Jesus, our cup is overflowing. That we are fully satisfied in Him. We have a lot to be grateful for. We are forgiven. We are redeemed. We are crowned. That we are His. We have living water. Not the water in the well a Samaritan woman had, but living water that is overflowing. It's not about half full or half empty. We are fully forgiven in Him. We are fully satisfied Him because He is the living water. Our cup is overflowing, and that means we have so much to be grateful for. We don't think in terms of half empty or half full. Everything is a gift from God. Everything is a blessing that we have. No matter what happens in life, no matter what storm you're currently going through, everything is a blessing from Him. Everything is. No matter what pain you have, no matter how much, of, how much or how little happiness you currently have, no matter how much stuff you have, we have so much to be grateful for, even when we feel like we don't have anything to be grateful for, because we are here. Our cup is overflowing. That's why David said it this way, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, all the blessings he's given us, things like this who forgives all of our sins and heals all of our diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So here's um, how we're going to close today. We're going to get ready to sing a a closing song. But I want to give you some time on your seats. You guys all have your impact cards. On the back of it, it's blank. There's nothing there. I want to give you a couple minutes to think about all the things that you should be grateful for. Because it's so easy for us to think of all of our prayer requests, all the things that we need God to help with, which we should do. I want us to spend some time thanking God for all the benefits and blessings He has given us. So I'm going to pray, 
I'm going to give you a couple minutes to write down as many things as you can think of. My, my house, my friends, my family, my, my kids, my health, whatever it is, write down absolutely anything you can think of. Writing it down is going to be a way for us to practice just looking at it, thinking about it, praising God for it, praying with God over it, and then we're going to sing together. So let me pray for you. Dear God, thank you for the God that you are that loves us no matter what. The God that redeems us, the God that is there for us, the God that forgives us, the God that crowns us. That even though we don't deserve the love you give us, that you give it to us anyways. And that we can be fully satisfied when we enter into a relationship with you. You God, thank you for being that God. And, and, and we apologize for taking that love for granted. For taking those blessing, blessings and those benefits for granted. God, help us right now to think about all the things, all the ways you've blessed us so that we can honor you with our gratitude. Thank you for the God that you are. In your son's name, amen. Take this time.